Hey, what's up, everybody? Another episode of Ready, Set, Go. We in the building. Green, tell him I said, what's up? Man, what's up, man? This is Rodney, man. Rod, everybody, uh, Justin. You about to talk about some current events and get Ready, Set, Go on the road. Rod, this is our first audio podcast episode, man. So anybody ain't got to see that. They can't see this beautiful face in that ugly mug of yours. <laughs> yeah, they call me the Black Santa Claus. I got all the <laughs> gifts. Uh, but I, I'm not ugly either. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. Let's jump into it, man. Let's jump into it. So... Today, we're going to talk about topics that's going to center around more about track and field and kind of branch out into more sports, thought-provoking topics and other sports, too. So first topic, man. What is going to be this year's hottest race or events? Man, I think uh, hurdles, man. The women's 400-meter hurdles, the women's 100-meter hurdles. I'm excited to see what these, Not no disrespect to the men out there, but I just think that they're, they're just better, man. You talk about the, the young lady from Arkansas. Yeah. You talk yeah. about you talk about Sydney. I mean, you talk if you're also talking collegially, or we we talking about just professionally, right? Professionally, man. The, um, what's 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 the young lady name? Please forgive me. Who, who runs for Arkansas? Mm. Forgive me for not for not remembering your name, but she opened up with forty nine. I was there when I seen the forty when she ran forty nine. Yeah, yeah. And then she okay. came back and she ran fifty three five. That was her first four hundred meter race, man. That's, She's not gonna lay down for Sydney down. And people crazy. forgetting about Delilah too. Like they acting like Delilah not gonna try to come back and try to take her throne. Well, you know that's track and field, man. Track and field is all about what have you done for me lately. So you know, everybody's always written off if you're not in the limelight at that point in time. So I can't wait to see the little rise back to the occasion because she's a true fighter, man. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and um, I mean, we're going to talk about hurdles across the board, collegially and professionally. Look at your girl Russell from uh, Kentucky, man. I think it's Marseille. Russell, yeah, she just, yeah, she just dropped 1236 as a collegiate athlete. Crazy. You know what I mean? And the 100 hurdles, man. So that is, to me, that's crazy because looking at those times and when we was in college, those times didn't even exist. You know what I mean? Like, you always hear about those times when, like, the Eastern Bloc, the Russia, or the Germanys ran those times years before we even came along. Now you have these athletes who are not even professional yet. They're running times that are comparable. Just a couple years back, they would have been the world record or close to the world record. But I think it's about time, though. I mean, we got better shoes, better tracks, easier way to train. You know, I think we just had to have a few of the athletes with the mindset come on and try to bring those times together. Uh, and the coaches who could actually think up the workouts and think how to engineer it for the athletes. So what do you think about, since you're bringing up shoes and tracks, so we're talking about the things that help performance, right? 100%. To push the boundaries of track and field, right? To make times in, that were maybe dreams before now realities. How do you feel about that? Because a lot of people are against it. They feel like, oh, jerseys and shoes should be banned and, and certain track surfaces should be banned. It all should be about the, the, the nature, you know what I'm saying? And the real athleticism that comes out of a person, that's it. Nah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I like it because things have to get better. That's like saying we should be getting on um, the propeller plane still. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> things yeah. are going to evolve. You know, uh, we're we going to be taking... Uh, a 10-seater plane over to Europe? No, they have 
planes that could carry 300 people overseas. So everything has to get better to make it faster, make it easier, and to make it better. So you're saying that track and field looks at progression as a bad thing, right? But in reality, the world always is looking to progress to go forward, to make things more easier, more exciting. 100%. You have the older crowd that are more so hold on to that mantra. If I was like that back in the day, but it, it wasn't like that <laughs> back in the day. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It has to evolve. I mean, I shoot, we came from the era where you had, what, 10 spikes on the bottom of one spike plate? Yeah, now, now you only got, got like five. Four. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we seen that back in our day. We would have been like, man, listen, man, this ain't enough spikes. The more <laughs> spikes, the better. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. So I think um, how science has entered the game and is definitely making our sport a lot more lively. Another thing that I think is making our sport more lively is trash talking. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, you know what? I am a fan of trash talking. And you know, we, we partaked in trash talking, especially when we was in, in training. You know what I mean? As training partners. 100%. 100%. But, but why does it lose the disconnect when an athlete is in practice, being themselves, right? And they can't take that trash talking over into competition, like a Muhammad Ali style. I think in our sport, because of the way it came up, and this, this is just my opinion, this is not any facts based on this. They, they treat our sport or like golf. You know, it's respectable, you bow out, you know what I mean, rather than, you know, having, you know, somebody say, I'm going to beat you. I'll race you whenever, wherever, whenever. That's, that's how boxing's done. Unsportsmanlike. Yeah, they call it unsportsmanlike, but I don't think so, like, Everybody, you had a lot of people who frowned when Maurice Green did the fire extinguisher thing, but we made it, track and field made ESPN that day. I, I agree yeah. with you. I, yeah. I agree with you 100%. <laughs> I'm tired of going to press conferences, especially ones that I was in, and listen to press conferences, and you always hear the same thing. I'm just happy to be here. I'm looking to have a great race. Good luck to all my competitors. Um, who's going to win? I don't know. I'm, I'm, you know. I've been training for this, so hopefully I get an opportunity to win. And I'm going to get ready for my next race and we'll see we're going to go from there. Yeah. Word for word. That's what everyone says. See, but you, they say it like that because the, the ones before I said it like that. So to be the outlier is kind of like different. If you got on the mic and be like, man, I'm at a roll, everybody. That, that sound bite right there will go all across the globe. That person possibly will be famous in a day in our sport if they say it and then they did it. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, but I think it's appropriate for this generation of athletes because a lot of these athletes and a lot of these people who are, who are running track right now, it's, they want to say it's unapologetic, but I feel like it's more about them being themselves. Instead of going into a press conference or doing, doing an article or whatever and saying things that would be appeasing to the listeners or appeasing to the audience and saying, oh, that's such a nice guy or she's so gracious and things like that. They're like, look... I train hard every damn day. You think I'm going to come out here and let these girls beat me? Uh-uh. But the funny thing is, is if you go to some of these practice places, they talk like that. But they get behind that camera and that mic, and they, they turn into, yes, I'm just here to do my best. All of them are training to win. Ain't nobody training to just, I'm just happy to be here. Nobody's training for that. Do you also think that is a, it's a thing where... Um, hold, hold on. Pause. I want to pay respect to Brittany, Britton Wilson. On Arkansas. Yes, yes. Okay. I didn't All say right. her name. I want to say Shout her out. name. Shout out. Shout to out. Shout out. I apologize that I didn't remember your name. I want to make sure I say your name. I hope I said it right. Britton Wilson, I, I, 
I think you're amazing. Make us remember your name, girl. <laughs> Do keep doing those amazing things out there. So yeah, man. But yeah, to to what you say, man. Yeah, these girls or these guys, they trash talking and practice not just to their training partner. They saying when I meet boy or when I meet old girl, man, I'm a roller. I'm a roller. They you have some people who are saying those things, man. They not out here training to be second or third. And that's something that needs to come to the light because we don't need to be, you know, sitting behind that table. It need to kind of be like boxing where it kind of could get out of hand sometimes at the press conference. Yeah, for sure. I believe it, man. I mean, you got to be yourself, be an individual. Um, I don't think you always should be able to whisper under your own breath about, man, I'm trying to get out here and beat these, you know what I'm saying, beat these chicks or beat these dudes. I'm, I'm really trying to, I'm trying to win. That's what I work hard for. That's what me and my coach, we train for. I'm trying to go out here and win. Yeah, man. So. Even so, man, you have people out there. I think I've heard Fred say, what time, man? I'm out there trying to take people lunch money. <laughs> <laughs> he yeah. wasn't trying. He's like, man, I'm out there taking people paper, man. I don't care about none of that. Right. <laughs> but you know, that's, I mean, that's, that's how you should be talking, though, because when you pull up, you land in these uh, meets in these different countries, dog, like, that should be your whole intent. Your whole intent is, look, I'm about to beat seven of these dudes. And I'm gonna move on to the next race and beat seven of them damn dudes too. So anybody who's watching this race and y'all gotta you gotta race me next time or the meet after this, watch out. Oh, Send a message. Now that now that we there, man, tell us, tell us just just a little bit. Tell us what was your approach, man, when you when you know you was wanted to roll somebody or you looked on that sheet and you saw like, oh, I'm racing Jit before, or I'm racing dude before we when I get to Paris or Italy or wherever. My approach was different. My approach was more of a physical approach. It wasn't, a mo it wasn't mainly about like a trash talking. You know what I mean? It was, I actually wanted to be a ghost. I, I didn't want no one to know I showed up to the meet. I didn't want no one to see me in the dining hall. I didn't want no one to see me at practice, training, getting ready for the race the day before. I wanted to show up in the call room for the first time and they saw me and look at the, the, shock, the shock in their eyes. You know what I mean? Like, damn, this man done showed up. Then he looking around, looking like, man, I'm about to get second. Man, all right, cool. You know? But that's, that was my mentality, man. My mentality is moving silence, dog. Yeah, man. I like, I like, I like, I like, I like how the, the sport is progressing, man. I, I, can, I can honestly say I like our new generation that's coming on. Uh, I, I just got to meet Tobogo. Nice guy. Yeah, oh, you I met him? him? Yeah, I met him in Miami. Miami? Yeah. Man, he's, he's what was cool he like? Kid. I mean, he's cool. He, he seems... A little bit more reserved, you could see like his alter ego is on the track. But, okay. Like when you meet him, like very reserved young man. He's you know what I mean? Okay. Very poised. But on that track is I can relate. You know what I mean? I can relate. Okay, I got <laughs> on the it. Track, he's different. He's a dog you know with I mean? it. Yeah, he's a dog on the track. He's man. a dog so, with it, man. And, and he strikes when he strikes, man. I like I like that kid. I like uh Narumi, the other the Jamaican kid who, who ran nine yeah. seconds this year. Yeah. Um it was unfortunate that he got a hurt at uh Carifta, but I wanted to see what was going to happen. Hey, hey, they had a little, they had a little thing going on at uh at juniors, right? Junior, yeah, with yeah, the junior that, worlds. That's that, that's that whole thing where where Tobogo shaking his finger at him. They said what? So they allegedly was, had trash talking before the race. Yeah, started. before the race, that's what I heard. Yeah, uh -huh. from from the kids, like they were talking crazy, and I guess Tobogo was like, "Man, I'm gonna go out here and I'm gonna show you." <laughs> oh, he did <laughs> yeah, though. But I guess Nakarumi had that in his mind all year because he. He, he already ran nine seconds for the year. Listen, bro. All I'm saying is that's a great buildup for the next couple of seasons and years to come. If these two athletes keep going and sparring back and forth, 
Like, that's what people are going to show up to oh, watch, like a heavyweight belt. Yeah, we can't forget one, though. This past weekend, that boy, that boy a singer from Mount Bird Academy. Listen, man. <laughs> Anybody listening to this podcast right now that doesn't understand track and field, this is how track and field set up. Don't ever believe that the person you're watching is always going to be the next. It's not 100%. No. There's always someone that's a diamond in the rough or someone just comes out of nowhere and they rise to the occasion and hopefully they stay around for years to come. Some are just one-hit wonders or flash in the pans. But this kid, a singer, I'm telling you right now, the way he runs, the way he moves, and he moves with so much confidence. This weekend, this past weekend, right? <laughs> yeah, this past weekend. He went out there and he ran the 100 meters a little windy, 2.6, but he ran a 9.83, and he beat the reigning world champion of the 200 meters, Noah Laos. I, I don't think that, that, that it gets enough justice because he ran 9.8 twice. People only saw the race or when he beat Noah. He ran 9.86 in the prelims. Oh, for real? Yes, bro. Huh. And the funny thing is, he put, a, he put away a good field. Uh, Kendall Ellis, like, he runs nine seconds. Like, he, he didn't, like, he didn't, like, beat nobody. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Kendall always gonna give you a 10 flat to a nine. Nine, nine, yeah. yeah. So he's he, consistent with that. was true. You know what I mean? So, but he, his first 30 meters were straight power. He separated immediately. And when he was going to race Noah, I was like, okay, he's going to race Noah. Now, in my head, I felt like Noah was going to run 9-8. But, man, that, after 30 meters, he was gone. He had put maybe about, maybe about five feet, five to six feet in between him and Noah. Him and Noah in the field. So I guess my real question is, this next generation that's coming up, are we witnessing the future of track and field? Because... A lot of people always says, oh, this is the future of track and field. And they, and they lump everybody who's younger into that box, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of them, well, let's just say like a good 75% of them always fall off, right? They don't mm -hmm. rise to the occasion that we know that they can, they can be. They get lost maybe going through collegiate levels or from collegiate to professional. They just can't get it. But for some reason, it seems like these cats right now, it's like not only has their physical rose to the occasion, but their mental game of understanding how to run properly and not only at practice, but in real competition has leveled up. Well, I think, and once again, this is just my opinion. I think these young kids have to have great people around them. You know what I mean? They, when they transition, try to keep that momentum going of what they're doing. They have to, because they're, they're in, a, in a protective setting right now. All these kids are protected. You know what I mean? They're with somebody who understands their talent, who these kids don't even understand themselves yet. Because they're 18. Think about what you were doing at 18. Did Facts. you really know who you were? Did you know what you really, really wanted to be? You just know I was running fast, Tennessee, and you couldn't think, oh, this is going to be whatever. That would be later on. So what you're saying is that because of our generation, we really didn't know how to get from the collegiate level to the professional level without just running our ass off. Right. Now these kids can see the vision. They can see the future. They know how to be able to get from an amateur level to a professional level, almost like athletes who play football know how to get to the draft. But that's a whole nother thing because they're, the, <laughs> I think our sport is the only sport that where there's great lines in between amateur and pro. Yeah. Yeah. Only because the, this this is how I'm explaining that, and I don't know if I keep it real, keep it 100. It, it makes sense. There's a lot right? of people that be lining up that are, but, shouldn't be considered professionals right. in professional races. Right. Um, so 
at the end of the day, our sport is the only sport to where somebody like a Joe Schmo can race somebody like you at a Claremont meet. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, I mean, if we consider in the real pro circuit, I think I heard Ray's take say the real pro circuit is the dominate. Because Joe Smoke can't enter into that meet. Oh, 100%. You know what I mean? But yeah. if we look in on for, for a low-key sharpener, you'll go to a, 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 a Claremont meet or a Mount Verde meet where a Joe Schmoe could race one of the best in the world. I don't know if that that's a good thing or a hard sport or a bad thing. It's, it's both though, man. I mean, you have to take into consideration the fact that these smaller meets that are not Diamond League meets, it gives the Joe Schmoes opportunity to be recognized to show their talent and potentially if they're a diamond in the rough. But we've seen a lot of athletes 100%. who flew under the radar for a long time and then they came out of nowhere and it became really good athletes, sure. right? So you can't, you can't just stop these small meets because I think it's more of like a cultivating track area. No, I wasn't, you know? I wasn't saying to stop them. I was just saying I don't know if it's good or bad. You know what I mean? Because if we're putting it in a, in a professional light and an amateur light, in which they consider our sports still amateur, uh, a Joe Schmo couldn't go play against Steph Curry right now. Well, a Joe Schmo couldn't get, jump in the NFL right now. But a Joe Schmo could... When I say Joe Schmo, I'm not talking about somebody that possibly runs 10-3 or 11-3. I'm talking about you could have somebody who run 12, 12 seconds and 100 for a female and 11 seconds for a male jump in a meet. Right, you cool. me? That's Joe Schmo. Listen, That's Joe Schmo. All right, listen. So what, you, what you're saying right now is that you, you, you Steph Curry, right? Steph Curry can't play against Joe Schmo in the NBA. But if you went no. into like YMCA and played a pickup game, he's going to be playing against Joe Schmoes, right? Right. But, but, but what we do in our sport is our pickup games are glorified because we wait for these races to happen. We look for the times and then we forget about them a month later. 100%. You know what I'm saying? 100%. I guess I call you call them sharpeners because I guess... The, the, like they said, the real season don't start because we could call this pregame, I guess, until after June. Because that's, that's mm -hmm. when like all the, the Diamond League stuff and the Adidas Boost stuff start and the ATL meet start. So I guess we could say this: all these are tuners, I guess. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, that's what they are. They're tuners. Because, you know, after Nationals, if you didn't drop anything by Nationals, you ain't got no meats. They, they are. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They are tuners. <laughs> But we don't look at them as tuners. No, we don't. We don't look at them as tuners. We, 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 we don't. They, 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 they are like over-glorified track meets, I guess. Amateur circuit. Amateur circuit. All right, we can go with that. Like we can go with that. I mean, Amateur but, circuit. but you know back, back in the day, they had an A circuit, B circuit, Z, they, I guess. The Chitlin circuit. <laughs> Exactly. But you're still making money in the Chitlin circuit you can, Yeah, you can, you can get paid. I'm sorry, but they, man. they ain't paying at these. We, now, let's make it clear. They paid to be a part of these. Pre meets or oh yeah, you yeah. pay to get into these meets. <laughs> yes, but you ain't winning no money. No, the only thing you hope they in return is a good ass the time, time. <laughs> that gets you into the next meet that's somewhere overseas to get you paid. Right, it's like right. you rolling that dice. Come on, right, right, right. But the good thing is though, I some of uh, some of the coaches could engineer those meets, and it gives it gives people who need a meet if they were injured and everything a chance to go ahead and try to put something down. So that's one of the great things I could honestly see. If you got hurt in the earlier the season and you need something before trials and a hotbed like Florida, some of the coaches there, they put on meets uh, and athletes fly from all over the country and sometimes the world 
and pay to be in these beats. And it's an easier way for some of the locals to see this world-class talent. How, how many people can say you could get all those A-list athletes at one little Joe Schmo meet? Whether they there walking around or whether they there competing because they need to put down the time. So I think Thanks. it's a pretty good thing. Thanks. Since we're talking about these athletes who are foreign athletes, is it, is it true that the Bahamas got some uh, some young sprinters that are coming up too? Oh man, shoot, shoot. He, he from my island. What you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Cause um, we haven't had a sprinter since you or Derek, right? Yeah, but nah, it, it was a lot more than me. Uh, Adrian, you had Adrian Griffin, Derek Atkins, you had Shamar, uh, you had uh, a, a lot more man who, who was running during that time. Michael Magic, but we haven't had a hundred meter pure sprinter run nine seconds. Since Derek Atkins. That's what I'm talking you about. Correct. Yeah, yes. since Derek Atkins. Yeah, since Derek Atkins. Uh, Shout out to Derek, man. Yeah, Derek. Silver medalist were in the world championships is what? Seven, right? 2007? 2007. 2007. He, um, he coaches at Utah now. Utah. Utah. I think they're like the 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 Bisons or something <laughs> like that. But he's a well, he out there, boy. He, he's a coach now, though, um, doing his his thing. But the kid you was was talking about is from Freeport, Bahamas. Um I remember um, when they heard he was from my island, I had so much coaches, I won't say what schools, was hitting me up like, hey, you know him, you know his mama? Hey, man, I need to try to talk to him. <laughs> but Mr. Mr. Jones is doing his thing, man. Yeah. Yeah, he's doing his thing, man, at 991 and 20 flat. Man, he, he's doing his thing. I call him Mr. Jones because he, he uh, 991, boy, in college, 20 flat in college, man. I, I hope he... He brings home another medal um, for us, man. Like that, 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 that's amazing. This would be, he would be the the second guy to try to do so. So I, I really am hoping and believing in him. That's what, and that's what I'm talking about. Since we're gonna talk about that, 991, dog. When I was in college, and I had, if I had an athlete come out there running 991, he would be the king. You hear me? The undisputed king. We would <laughs> dive into the line and run 10 1005. Those were times I were winning nationals for us. Mm. You know. But now you got guys out here damn near running nine eights, you know, collegiately. Do you feel that um, the progression from high school with these high school kids running stellar times and that are putting the pressure on these college kids to run even faster times, do you feel like it's all coming to a head on the professional level? It's making these professionals kind of look back over their shoulder and be like, damn, hold on. This yeah. dude in college, this you, dude in you, high school. You, you have to, because the reps of the shoe companies, if they're paying, if if they're paying people, not the medalists, not the ones who've medaled, because they proved themselves, those ones on contract. So if you're on contract and you have medals, yeah, of course, you're way more marketable, autographs, you know, and all that. I'm talking about the athletes who didn't medal who are on contracts. They put a lot of pressure on those guys because Say in this stage here, a singer, he runs, mm -hmm. he beats somebody that's paid. They're like, shoe company looking like, well, you ain't got no medals. He ain't got no medals. And he just, yeah. we want to pay him. And he, and then it's grassroots because now his career, they look at, yeah. okay, he's going to last longer than you, especially if he's three years younger or anything. And then I feel like social media plays a part of it too. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? How much followers does this kid got? This kid already got 50 thousand followers as a high school athlete locally once he dropped that time i guarantee a singer's followers went up you can't tell me it didn't go up facts you see what i'm saying yeah, but yeah. i think it, it it from that area it put pressures on the pros but i think it put pressure on the collegiate athletes too because 
in order to get a full scholarship now, these, these are at the bigger schools, we have to be able to damn near score right away. So I remember back in the day, 11-7 could get you a full ride at a power five. I can't get you. If you were a female and you run 11-7 or you're a male and you run 10-4, yeah, that can give you. They gonna be like, yeah, we come. What your grades look like? Um, we probably could give you some books and this, but you damn near have to be ten one now to get a full. Yeah. So a singer, a singer's followers, is at least on Instagram by itself, is a little over ten thousand followers and as good. a high schooler. Um, that's really good. You know, obviously he has a career that's going to shine going forward. So. Let's see what he does, man. Let's see what this kid does. And they, you know how track and field work. You got to do it twice. So even if he twice, did it- Twice? You got to do it every year. Yeah, if he did it against Noah, yeah. And, and then I, I want to put things in perspective for, for people who saying, yeah, he beat Noah. This kid, this is probably maybe his 12th, 13th meet of the year. He's ran all indoor. I've seen him run indoor, and then he's run outdoor. So he's kind of race sharp. This is Noah's second meet. In which Noah is having a great beginning of the year because he opened up with nine. You have to put that in consideration. I think a lot of people who watch the sport who've never really been on a professional level in the sport, it's the fact that we don't get as many runs and races as collegiate athletes. Collegiate athletes are running almost every weekend during the season. And they start racing in December, yep. right? Not even just start training. They're racing in December where professional athletes start training in November. <laughs> exactly. So that tells you how far along collegiate athletes are. And then you can say the same thing about high school athletes because they're running themselves into shape and that's what the coaches are doing. Running, yeah. those, running those athletes into shape. So by the time you line up against somebody who understands technique, this, that's, their stature is a specimen, right? They're standing tall, they're strong, they're man-child version. And then now they understand how to sprint correctly. And they got already, what, 15 races under their belt, yeah. including 60 meters, indoors, Indoor, 200 meters 200 indoors, meters indoor, nationals, regionals, <laughs> uh, state, everything. Yeah. And then they're going outdoors and they're already running a lot of races outdoors. They're going to be primed and ready already. And I think a lot of people don't realize that, that someone like Noah, who, is, who has a lot of accolades, this would probably be considered his first real 100 meters of the season. Yeah. I, I, well, second, and, and which he ran nine three times already, which I don't think Noah's ever done in the beginning of the season at all. So I think this is good for him being the beginning with him and Coach Brahman. I think coming to the end of the year, trying to see where Noah is, it, it's, a, it's a good testament because he, he is a slow starter, but he closed like a freight train. So, but I guarantee they are going to go back and work on that. So I'm, I'm not counting Noah out at all. I think the kid is just sharp at this point. I'm not waving his 983. That is amazing. <laughs> I, I want to know how Noah feels because when I was competing at, uh, in 2016 at the Olympic trials, Noah was the high school athlete and I was the head professional athlete, you know? So going through the rounds, knowing that I got these high school kids like Michael Norman who are nipping at my heels trying to make the team and also beat me. Like, I'd be like, that's, I feel like me, that's more, I call it pride slash pressure. Yeah. Because getting beat by another professional is like, oh yeah, man, I mean, you just had a good one. You had a good run. You got the blocks. You executed your form and that race. You had your day. And I can say the same thing about the high school athletes. 
But for some reason, you look at yourself as a grown man. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Hold on. This kid got to go down hallways when the school bell rings and get to class <laughs> while I'm out here training on a daily basis. And what's happened to a lot of people with Arian? That's what was happening. He, he ran 19-4 and then they said he was in like a math test the next day. <laughs> that's, that's what I'm talking about. I feel like right now we're witnessing the evolution of track and field, especially from a male side. Yeah. We're watching 18-year-olds run 19-4. Do y'all understand what that means? 19-4 as someone who can't even legally drink, he can't even celebrate that damn run if he wanted to. And the funny thing is to put it in perspective, there is no scale for it. So you couldn't even put him on a scale and be like, he is like this. No, he is the first kid to run 19-4 at that age. He is him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what they say, he is him. He is Timothy. <laughs> <laughs> Since we on trash talking, man, we're going back to trash talking a little bit because you know the, internet been, the internet's been buzzing lately about a little bit of a Twitter beef that's been going on between Fred Curley and uh, Jacobs, Marcel Jacobs. Um, Fred, we know, is, a, is an outspoken athlete Very. who has backed himself on a, multiple occasions from the 400, 200, and the 100. And right now, a lot of people feel like he is top dog, even over the Olympic, reigning Olympic champion, Marcel Jacobs. Right. But at the same time, Marcel has stepped up and has been saying a few words too. Now, do you feel like this is some real Twitter beef we talk about? Like they ready to see each other? Or is this something that they trying to spark a little more attention and buzz? Or are they trying to make if, a little money on the side? I don't think, no. Fred ain't built that way. I've <laughs> met Fred on several occasions. What Fred mean? Fred, he say what he means. And he means what he says. But hey, Fred about his cheese though now. Don't forget. He, he is, about making he that gonna money. Tell, he going to tell them. But Fred is not, he's not like, He's more about pride. He'd be like, man, I'll whoop, I whoop him. Like, ain't no way he's going to beat me again. But I like how Marcel didn't just, like, you know, back himself into a corner. And he said, the last two races you've had against me, you've lost. So, which is true. They raced once before at a Diamond League, and then they raced at the Olympics, and Fred was the loser. But Fred's like, nah, man, nah. he feel that his win was a fluke. I didn't realize, I didn't take that in consideration that, uh, that Fred's 2-0. and oh. I mean, 0-2 in this He's situation. He's 0-2, yeah, yeah. But at the same time, we also got to take consideration the performance of Jacobs in the last couple of years. May it, may it be hamstring issues or food poisoning or whatever, he hasn't kept the status quo of what we've seen from Olympic champions in the past. Once you get that medal, you work very hard to stay on top and not be considered a one-hit wonder or a fluke, right? So do you see him coming back into, the, into rare form? I think he, he needed some of those things to wake up because, you know, once you, once you become, I, I think, the guy, so much attention around it. You know what I mean? It's hard. Of course. <laughs> every, you, every... you name the last <laughs> European. I'm going to say European because we can say, not just Italian, we're going to say European 100-meter Olympic champion. I'll wait. Yeah, Go no, ahead, tell no, me. I can't, I can't. But what I'm saying is, is like, I mean, he had probably had so much people who wanted to sponsor him, so much people that wanted to touch him so much. So I think he possibly in the beginning got lost of what brought him all this attention. You know what I mean? Training hard, him working under the radar is what brought him all this attention. But he went from trying to climb the mountain or being the, the, the hunter 
for a dream mm-hmm. to being hunted. Yeah. Because nobody really saw him coming. You know what I mean? But now everybody, he has that, that target on his back. Can you still be as hungry with the target? Yeah. You know what I mean? So I think that's where he is now. I think indoor uh, Europeans was a wake-up call for him. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I think, and then Fred coming after him is probably another wake-up call. So he's going to realize he every time he steps on the track, he's going to have to perform. I mean, or he could be one of those athletes who don't care about those one-off races around the world, and I'm only going to perform when it counts the most. Nah, but that, that, that's going to do something to your mental because uh, uh, some of these athletes ain't the only... Fans think it's, his, his, his run was a fluke, too, because he hasn't put out real solid work out. You know what I mean? Or what they think the work of an Olympic champion should have been. You know what I mean? So he has to prove himself, not just to him, but to his fans. Because then they're going to turn on him too. You know, the fans are the same people to lift you up and the same people to pull you down. Oh, facts. 100%. <laughs> those are going to be the same ones. The same ones that's going to be like, man, they, they already questioned it. They're talking, they want to put an asterisk next to his name because of it was the COVID Olympics where... It, he had the advantage because he had no one in the in the stands and the, there was no audience. But my thing is, are you going to put an asterisk by every Olympic champion from every other event and discipline and sport too? Because you can't. So you can't just say, man, Jacobs got the win because he was able to, to run in a bubble basically, yeah. right? So he rose to the occasion. He won regardless of people in the stands or not in the stands. This is a fact that is he going to step up and rise to the occasion again? I think you will. With the Diamond League out there, man, shoot, most of the Diamond League races are over in Europe. I, I don't know. I think he has to come to America one time, and I think pre is afterwards this year. Like it's in August or something like that. It's like way at the end of the year, so. Look at pre. Oh, but he, pre- oh, I forgot. He a Puma athlete now, so he don't have to go. Oh, but he, <laughs> trust me, as, a, as an athlete who has not always been with Nike, you want to go. <laughs> yeah. That's when you get paid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pre Montaigne going to throw the bag at uh, you. You uh, hear me? 100%. But I'm saying, like, he don't have to go, so he don't have to inherit that heat. He don't got to. Yeah, yeah, he don't got to inherit that heat. He don't have yeah, to inherit I mean, that heat. Right. He, he would have had to put out that I was injured or something not to come. But, you know, shoot, since we on the bag, man, tell, tell us about the bag, man. The demand of money and how it goes early in the season. Like if you early and you're trying to test your legs and somebody trying to get you in and meet down there in, in uh, Puerto Rico, what you will charge. But if you drop something, what is it going to cost after that? All right. So I want to hip all the audience to the game when it comes to the politics of track and field on a financial aspect, right? So like I told you, you start training in November. So really you start running outdoor races like mid-March, correct? Mm-hmm. All right. So... When you start running, and this happens every year, you got to reset yourself. You got to reset your persona. People are going to give you praise for your last season, but it also comes with pressure. Because now, whatever you finish with, the world thinks you should start off with again. Yep. <laughs> so by March, everyone's kind of figuring out where they're at because you can train at a certain level and the times can dictate that, you know, you in race shape, but you can never predict the element when you are in a real race, right? So People get ready and then they say, okay, I'm going to go to these little one-off meets and I'll, I'll take a little 5K maybe, you know what I'm saying, to travel somewhere for free lodging and I'm going to get paid to go out there and run a 10 flat or something like that, right? Boom. 
But the next thing happens is you go out to one of these little meets somewhere in the world and you drop a monster time, right? And that monster time is going to dictate what your payment is in the future. So, so you basically saying yesterday's price is not today's price. Absolutely. <laughs> as soon as you cross that line and that clock stops <laughs> and you see a time that's comparable to winning the Diamond League finals and you doing it already in early April, trust me, your stock has just risen. Mm-hmm. You, you can say, hey, you know what? I, I can't race for that money anymore. And that's, and that's usually that's the agent talking right there. <laughs> their, whatever your percentage is, they're going to get a cut of that. So they got to make sure that you ain't getting these little small meets running for 5K anymore. 20K may not cut it either for a lot of these athletes out there. They're racing for big cash money now. So let, let's just say I, I, I've heard, and, and we've never talked about this, but I've heard in 15 afterwards, you, you had a couple more races that you turned down. What were they offering you? Because you were sick and you, you didn't want to run anymore. You were done. What, did you, what kind of money were you turning down? What did you leave on the table? 60, 70, 80 Gs. I was supposed to go to Edmonton and they was going to throw 65 at me. 65,000. Yeah, man. That's, and, I, and, I, and I was sick. I couldn't go. Yeah, that's an E-class. Yeah, that's so E-class. I couldn't. So that's I couldn't. A, that's, a, that's a 2020 E class. That's a E class. That's a, that's a fresh out. The plastic's still on the seats. Yeah. You know? <laughs> hey, the crazy thing. The crazy thing is whenever I get like the emails about negotiations or how much you know you're gonna get, whatever like that. <laughs> I, I immediately go to the internet and look to see what will be comparable to that price. <laughs> and then I can say, you know what? I can buy me E class, boy. If I come across that line. I'd be at that line whispering, E-class, E-class, E-class. <laughs> oh, so that's how you got your car. I mean, the thing is, I always treat myself after a major year, a major championship. I, I mm. make sure I do my research and see, okay, I like that house. I like that car. I like whatever I like. Mm. That's what I want to do. I, I, I want to go here for a trip. And that's how I treat myself instead of always constantly splurging on something. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And now the time you look back and the next season comes, your bank account empty. Because you didn't spend all this money because you've been so excited that you had a, a pretty good year. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Now you got to start totally from scratch, physically and financially again. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a nugget to our, to our younger generation also. Um, treating yourself and, you know, making sure you stay financially uh, stable throughout the year. Don't spend all your money. Um, but yeah, man, that's shoot. I don't know, man. I've, I've, I've heard about like, Crazy bags out there, man. Shoot, I heard Marion was getting crazy bags back then because uh, she was on like almost like a bolt ass level coming up. Like, they was like, man, she was charging like 90. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, when you when you at that level, you you going no lower than 100K and up. And I mean, because these athletes, it's going to coincide exactly how you run. So you ain't going to run a lot anymore because you know that you got to be worried about losing a race and your stock going to drop. So you want to go out there and be like, you lose a race, and then the next meet promoter will be like, well, you just lost this race to this person, <laughs> and, you get, and you got paid this much, so why should I pay you if you're going to lose in this race too, maybe? But bring me to my next point. I actually lured you into a question. Oh, here we have, go. Have you ever played the ducking game where you, where you be like, oh, now nah, I ain't want to race that dude right now? Nah, man. I never... <laughs> I never played the ducking game. As far as, as far as I remember, I never played the ducking game, man. The, the, the thing is that you also got to take in consideration that these meets have a pool of money, right? 
So let's just say, let's use Rome as an example, right? Because so if we're talking about Fred, Curly, and Jacobs, Fred said, meet you in Rome. Jacob said, I bet. So the meat promoter at Rome is going to look at his pot of money and he's going to say, I got to have the Olympic champion and the reigning world champion in the same race, right? So he's going to have to drop two bags for these guys to show up and race each other head to head. Not to mention anybody else that's going to be in that race. A Bracey, who's a silver medalist, a Trayvon, a Coleman. Coleman, anybody else, a DeGrasse, anybody else, they're going to demand money as well. So that's why you're not seeing a lot of these races with star-studded athletes lining up all together at once. Because ain't enough money. It's not enough money to go around because that's just 100 meters. Now you got to think about the 400-meter hurdles, females, mm -hmm. that are going to have to get demand to get paid. The 200 meters, uh, men and women. The 100 meters for the women as well. Any other, any other respectable race that has an athlete that's an outstanding athlete that's, that's demanding the bag. That you got to split all that money up and be able to make sure that your pool can be able to handle that. Plus, you got to house all these athletes in a hotel. All these athletes got to get housed in a hotel. And they got to be able to, you got to pay for their trips. So they're flying from America or wherever else they're coming from to get housed for the free and also to get paid appearance money. And the appearance money is for you just to stand on the track, not even run the race or win the race. Mm. You just got to get out the blocks and hopefully finish the race and you get your money. Uh, that's... That's crazy. So, boy, they they playing the real financial game, running around with the money. You know what I mean? The, oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So, so there's been times where I have posted, I was supposed to race against certain athletes, and I didn't because the money wasn't there. Money was funny. The money was funny. Oh man. And the, but I got some people like, well, man, you just got to race and get it done. It's the excitement, it's the entertainment of it. But if I if I take the money that's getting offered to me today, I have to fight the next meet promoter tomorrow. To pay you what you worth. To pay me what my what I'm worth. So that so that that's that's what you're looking at. That's why a lot of these athletes don't just jump in every race around the world against each other all the time. And on top of that, you get tired of it. Y'all say y'all want that now, but if you see three races back to back of uh, Jacobs and Fred or Coleman and uh, Trayvon, you can be like, all right, cool. I didn't saw them race three times. I don't want to see them no more. I'll wait till I see them at world championships or the Olympics. See, but I think that's good for our sport because I think other people aspire to be like, man, why y'all talking about them, bro? I feel like I could beat them. So they, they get that whole, I think that's how you get the rise of the next because there's always somebody who, ain't, who they ain't thinking about uh, who just, what I call sometimes just drop out this guy. You know what I mean? I mean, they might've been working hard on, on, on behind the scenes, but we've never known of them internationally, like an Omanyala. That's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so at the end of the day, he's looking like, I can do that. I can be that for my country. I can be what they are to their country or to their fans here. And I think that was one of the things that kind of inspired him to try to be one of the best. Now, the only thing is, I need him to come out of Africa and run somewhere else. So I know about these times. <laughs> I, need, I need to see him run in Europe or America or something like that. I need to see him run somewhere else. Yeah, he's he, he running he a lot of races. I didn't even know they had that many sprint races in Kenya, boy. That's a lot of sprint races in Kenya. But, you know, shout out to him, man. He's a good dude, and I want to see him do well in the sport, man. He's, he's a humble cat. So keep your head up, man, and let's see you. Let's, I want to see you run somewhere else too, man. Get out there and beat these guys around the world. Um, we talked about a little bit about trash talking earlier. Mm -hmm. um, we have been around the sport long enough to know that trash talking just ain't started here. It started back 
back in the day. Yeah, 100%. So the era before ours, even yep. maybe the era before our era yep. was doing a lot of trash talking. Yep. You know what I mean? So do you feel that that's where it needs to go back to this day and age to make it more exciting? 100%. I, like I said, man, people forget track and field is an entertainment sport. You sit in the stands and you are waiting to be entertained like a movie or a show or anything else. Think about it. It's not an interactive sport. It's not something where you interact. It's something where you're watching the athletes do what they do. It's entertainment. So the trash talking, I feel like it's needed. I need. I feel like it's needed. People need to say what's on their mind. I mean, it don't have to be disrespectful. But if you feel a certain type of way of, of say, you know, like how we talking about Fred and Marcel so, so much. You know, what if a Trayvon feel like, man, they should be talking about me. He need to say that on Twitter, like, yo, y'all forgetting, I'm coming. You know what I mean? Something like that. Like, I'm well, not saying that's what they're thinking right I, now. I, I, they in my head, I don't intent. know Trayvon, but I'm saying, like, in my head, that's that's possibly what he would say because he seems like a very confident man. But what I'm saying is, and I don't say that to say that he's not confident because he didn't say anything. But what I'm saying is, is like the sports needs that. But I feel like everybody say it in their head, and then after they beat the person, then they talk. And say, they don't, they don't say nothing. I knew I was gonna beat him, but why you ain't said it in the interview before that? You was, I'm just happy to be here. So you talk, you talk about that time when they come across the line, they be crunk as hell. Yeah, yeah. Hell yeah, hell yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I told y'all, yeah, you really yeah. didn't tell us, yeah, but no, you telling you us now. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I feel like, like, like that's the thing. Like you know what I mean? I feel like that needs to come back. Like that the, and, and maybe the journey, uh, the the interview is. Need to ask them real questions. We need we need some of the the vloggers who be at the track meets. They ask real questions, man. I watch some of them at Texas relays and and, and, and Florida relays, and they ask some of these. How you feel you're gonna be this year? Who you feel gonna beat you? And the athletes be like nobody. You know what I mean? We need more of that. We need them at the table. Yeah. Not saying the, the journalists or the other viewers are bad, but I'm just saying we need more of that. So we need to kind of just take ourselves away from that white glove persona yeah. of being just kind of like uptight and, and proper all the time and be what we really feel. Ima- imagine, imagine if you were sitting in the press conference, right? And that year you and LaShawn were like the two top guys in the uh, 200. Uh, and LaShawn said in the press conference something like this. He said, yeah, man, I'm going to really execute my race and I'm going to drop Justin off at like maybe the 110 mark and then I'm going to roll out. <laughs> what, what you want to say? <laughs> What would you say? Like, yeah, you'd be like, you, excuse me? <laughs> he said, yeah, man, I'm going to just turn around and tell Justin Holness, take this to the concession stands, then ride out. How would that have made you feel? He said something like that at the table, man. I think I would be beside myself because I, I, I wouldn't, first of all, I wouldn't expect it, for one. And then two, you already know how the community of track and field is. You know what I mean? Like, it's a very small, tight-knit community. Like, me and LaShawn have said what's up to each other so many times throughout the year. But at the same time, I respect the fact that he's speaking his mind and he's telling me his race strategy. Thank you very much. Because I know I'm not going to get dropped off there. I'm going to be checking right there. But that, that would have boiled a fire in you. Whatever race plan you had in your head, you would have just been like, but ain't no way, bud. Ain't no way, bud. I, I would have waited until after the race and be like, yeah, I, I, I was told I was going to get dropped off right there. And then he really found out I was the one driving the boat. But, but that's what I'm saying. That, yeah. See how, how you came back? That sound bite of LaShawn wants to say something like that. And LaShawn probably will never say nothing. He's not that type of guy. But if he says something like that, what kind of, that, that sound bite would be all over the globe if he said something like that. You yeah, know what fact, I mean? But fact. I feel like people like Fred and, 
who who are very outspoken on what they think, they be like, man, I'm a roll old dude. They gonna say that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, say that. I mean, it, that's what it is, though. Yeah, I mean, I think man. that's what it is. You do you have a favorite uh, or or one trash talking incident that you remember from the past? I do. I don't know what this person wants me. <laughs> Want me to, uh, talk I know what you're about, about to say. <laughs> you you can say it because it's on YouTube already. So <laughs> it ain't like you telling a story that the world can't find. They can research it. I didn't seen the video. I didn't seen a hand come into the screen and everything. It's out there. Hey, hey, <laughs> hey his his fire was under down, but man, I, I like one of my one of my favorite ones was Dennis Mitchell. Man, I, I got a uh, uh, shout out to D uh, when yeah. uh, not I think it was '96 trials. And he was just yelling in the background, like, man, see you in the finals, man. Who is he, who is he talking about seeing in the finals? talking about Carl Lewis. But I think that was great. But I think we had other times, man. We had Donovan Bailey, Michael Johnson. We had Michael Johnson, Maurice Green. We had Maurice Green, Donovan Bailey. We had, we had so many, like, like that, 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 that were matchups. Like, I think you still have some jaw jacking probably from Maurice and, 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 and Donovan from back then. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. They still be talking crazy a little bit, you know, when they old age, you know. But I'm just saying, like, that. but I think Ben Johnson talked crazy, too. Him ben and John- him call. Ben Johnson <laughs> talked crazy. Uh, uh, Linford Christie uh, used to talk crazy. Oh, but Linford Christie was a big, big dude, boy. I heard he was a bully, too. <laughs> he had to be. He had to be. You know what I heard that they used to do back in the day? So, you know, when you go to races overseas, they usually have in the morning, our rate, the professional races are in the evening, right? But during the day in the morning, those were races like, like the youth athletes were run or the amateur athletes were run. So what happened is the professional athletes would sneak into those races to get one race in so they'd be ready for the evening race. Oh, so like a blowout. So they, they, would, they would see each other in the race and like, oh, shit, I didn't know you were going to be here. So they racing against amateurs <laughs> to get ready for their, their final race. Later on that night. Which is, which is a great strategy. I talked to another bro who told me, he said, man, I used to go run in like Turkey somewhere. And that's how I know. I dropped that time, run under another name. And then by the time I get back, I know I'm ready. Because he's like, my name's too big to run here and nobody pay attention. He said, I need to go focus on what I'm focused. Then go back to America and roll somebody. So he, that, whoever that person was was confident enough that whatever they ran. Like, my thing is, what if you went out there and like break a national record? And then you under another name, it ain't going to count. But I guess it'll be like how Lu Zhang was. They say Lu Zhang used to set up like a whole timing system. So when he ran 12-9, he knew he was going to run 12-9. This wasn't a gauge or what happened. They already knew. Because they, they replicated exactly. the race exactly. over and over again. Oh, exactly. Gotcha. So he, gotcha. he knew. So if, as long as he's not hurt or if he don't hit a barrier, we, we, Lu Zhang don't hit barriers. Uh, <laughs> right. That's what we're going to do at practice now. <laughs> exactly. I'm going to bring out the snub nose. <laughs> You ain't go. You ain't. You ain't gonna never lose, man. But, but let's talk about uh, one of our last topics, man. Let's talk about the longevity in the sport. You know how how some of these younger athletes can stand the test of time if they wanted to. Because mm-hmm. some will go out when they want to. Some will not want to come out uh, and try to stand the test of time and mm-hmm. be on top as long. Because to achieve something like a, a Bolt, Shelly Ann, Allison, you know, uh, a you. Uh, that's like damn near 15, 20 years of, of, of running track and field. Yeah. You know, uh, what would that, that's like LeBron-esque yeah. type of thing. So you got you to gotta change, and I always tell everybody that track and field is a hustle because whatever you put into it, 
you're going to get out of it. That's how you got to look at it. It's almost like a, a hustle in the corner and however hard he works, that's how much money he's going to make that day. If he's lazy, he's not proactive, he ain't making no money, right? Mm. So that's what your success is when it comes to like competing and how you compete and how consistent you are with your competition at a high level. So once you get to that level, you got to hold that consistency. And that's what really the key of track and field is because a lot of people think, oh, I done ran 9-8, I done ran 9-7, I'm good. I did it. Like, they, like the big names did it, so I'm up there right now. But the thing is, they don't realize that you have to do it when it counts for one at a world championship or Olympics. We got to see you get on the podium, right? And then you got to run those times at will. At will means if you line against other big dogs, you know it's 9-7 time. You know it's 9-6 time. That's what you got to produce. That's what you got to get ready for. And a lot of these guys now, I think, think that, well, I wasn't ready for this race. There's always another race. And that's what happens. They think it's another race to come. And they realize that later on down that road, you might have squeaked into that race. You might have got into the next race and the next race after that. But then soon after, if you don't keep up that consistency, you ain't going to get in no more races. Mm. And then that career is going to be done. So we, 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 we hope that our listeners, our young listeners, understand the whole mantra of, of, of what you were just trying to say just now because that's that's tough. You know, I think, but since it's a hustle, we only see what's right in front of us. So you see the fast times and the, and the glory. But if you don't know walking through that mm-hmm. tunnel, yeah. you don't know 40, 50,000, 60, 70,000 fans. Can you do it in the front? Because, you know, some of these kids, they run those fast times and maybe in front of maybe, what, two, 300 people. Yeah. If you had a state championship, maybe 2,000 people. Mm-hmm. But when you walk into a stadium of 60,000 people and they're not chanting your name and you can't vibe on your own energy of things that you know, can you still perform? You know what I mean? So... There's so much that goes into turning pro, and I hope our young listeners understand it's, it's the people who are around you, um, the people who you're going to take on that journey, who was there in the beginning, and the people who have the best interest in you. Early on. Yeah. Shoot, for somebody like you, the agents you started with is the agents you finished with 20 years later, which is crazy. I mean, it's true. I mean, it's weird thinking that way because you you always think about the athletes that you kind of grew up with. When I mean grew up with, not like in your household, but like you raced against, right? Through high school, through college, and then y'all turned pro together. A very few, right? But then usually that generation kind of retires around the same time. The weird thing for me was I used to see athletes I compete against or I saw at meets in college and then I saw professionally. And then now, like 2019, I ran into one of those athletes and they were like a full-fledged coach. <laughs> like they was, they've been coaching for like the last five to six years. You know what I mean? And potentially it got to a point where there were athletes who turned coaches who started coaching athletes that I was started competing against. Wow. So they'd be like, their, their coaching philosophy was like, all right, man, you got to get ready for Gat. I know how it was running against Gat. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. That's crazy to me, though. That's crazy. <laughs> but I mean, all of a blessing, man. And the thing is, you got you to gotta change your mentality of thinking of it as a job and think of it as taken as a lifestyle. Mm. There's no clock in, clock out. LeBron never clocks in and clocks out. You know what I mean? 
he's in a sport where he has to perform at a high level. And the older you get, it's not about always about the physical part, but the mental part. He's getting ready. He's, he's thinking about his mind. His heart starts thinking about, I want to settle down. I want to have my kids. I want to raise my kids. I want to be around them more. I want to see Bronny play more. Those kind of things are going to take away and they're going to be considered, I'm air quoting right now, distractions from when you was a singular focused athlete thinking about winning championships. Now you got to include your whole other life into that success. Mm. So you got to, you can't just clock in, clock out no more. You have to consider a lifestyle when it comes to um, how you recover, how you take care of your body, how you study your opponents, mm -hmm. how are they performing throughout the year, what's your race strategy. You should be able to look at your, you should be able to know your race strategy when you close your eyes. I can right now close my eyes and run 100 meters and I know exactly who all the people run against, when they're going to strike, when they're going to move, how they're going to finish the race, when I'm going to be able to be dominant in front of them. I know all that in my mind. And it cycles through my mind consistently and constantly. Because like how you said earlier with Lu Zhang, he has simulated what it is to go out there and run a successful race. And you got to envision that as an athlete who wants longevity. Yeah, but that's, that's, that's athlete accountability. That's a student of the game. If you could close your eyes and do that, that means you've done some studying yourself. I think the the newer generation, they more so leave it to the engineering of the coach. They have talent, and they feel like the coach's job is to bring all the talent out without athlete accountability, having any accountability to themselves that this is something that I wanted, I have to do something. Why, also. though? Why are you allowing some man that is, let's woman. be real. Let's, woman. <laughs> let's, or woman, let's be real, that is a stranger to you. Because you really came to them for their expertise. Mm -hmm. But you are relinquishing your whole career and your destiny in this person's hand without contributing that much to it. Instead of saying, you know what? Let me tweak a little bit. Let me ask, can I do this better? Do, you, know, you have to be able to contribute to your own success. You can't just say, hey, take my life into your hands <laughs> and hopefully you will make me a gold medalist. See, but at the end of the day, uh, if you're respected enough, they just will put all their trust in you, um, especially if you have a long list of athletes who you've coached. You know what I mean? I don't. I think when you say something like uh, a Glenn Mills, a Bobby Corsi, a Frano, you know, these are people who, like, you shouldn't have any, too many questions for these people. They're naturally going to put their lives in these people's hands because they have a long list of people who they've made great. You're uh, right, but they also have a long list of people who didn't turn out great either. 100%. Let's be real. But we're only, the coaches in our sport are only measured, even if they only have one athlete, by that one athlete. So if I, if I, if I had one athlete today run 1066, my name would ring out. Who's coaching? Who's coaching? You want to run 1066? Yeah. Come to ride. Exactly. Right. And, that, and that's I how got it you. is. So more people will come towards that. So, but... Yeah, I feel like to be more respected uh, from the coaches that I've been around is, is the medal counts that I feel solidify your career because it's not only the coaching, it's the mental development of that athlete mm -hmm. also. You know what I mean? Some, some athletes can get success with fast times, but they can't get the hardware. Uh, and I don't always believe that you had to be a great athlete to kind of coach a great athlete. We've seen it over and over where people who weren't champions coach champions. You know what I mean? So, oh, yeah, 100%. So, <laughs> yeah. so I, I feel like they have a different aspect of life. I always say uh, I've got it wrong enough so many times to tell you how not to do it. <laughs> how not to do it. 
It's true. I mean, shout, shout, out, to shout out to my college coach, Vince Anderson. He, did, he didn't run track, especially at no elite level. But every athlete that I feel that has encountered Coach Anderson has fell in love with him as a coach because he coaches very well and very dominant. You know what I mean? And he has a lot of success. And he has a lot of success for a lot of athletes. So um, I get your point. You know, you have to be a good coach to be able to make a good athlete. And, it, and it's going to fall on an athlete to be able to say, okay, I'm good now. Yeah. Do I want to be better? I got to push the envelope. Yeah, it's, and I think that goes back to, 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 to challenging the coach. I feel like in that era, once you have, like, say, like, a singer, he go to a coach. If, if that coach never had a 9-8, he has to coach that now. That's a challenge to the coach. That's not a coach I'm here now. What's, what's our goal? The coach have to engineer now what's next for that, for that kid. So it's not like make my dream come true, coach. It's more like nah, been you, up, are, you been that F up? Yeah, you are the dream. Yeah. You are. <laughs> <laughs> he be like, I'm your dream. What you going to do, homeboy? <laughs> you wanted an athlete? I'm here. You be trying to recruit everybody? I'm here. Facts. And I, and I, I think he's committed to Texas Tech. So he is, yeah. I mean, if, if, if Terrence doesn't go pro and that young man goes to Texas Tech next year, these boys might, they, they, need, they only need two legs running 10 9. Hey, they're gonna, be, they're gonna be ready. They Texas A and M or Texas Tech? Texas Tech, I mean Texas Tech. I think he committed to Texas Tech. Let me check real quick. I think he committed to Texas Tech. Shout out to Texas Tech, man. Terrence from the Bahamas, boy, two four two. What a do? Dinga. Yeah, yeah, okay. He committed to right. Texas Tech. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No A and M, A and M. Oh, it's A and M. He over there with Pat. Okay, well, shoot, Pat got a long list he, of people too, man. Yeah, he's going to be he gonna be ready. Shoot. They know how to win championships there, that's for sure. Uh, he do. But shoot, Pat had one of the uh, the Golden Knights, man, Demetrius Bender. Oh, he did, He went yeah. to A&M. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he went to A&M, man. So, shoot, you know, that's, 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 Pat good people. And Pat tried to recruit you when he was at LSU. Man, yeah, man. We, <laughs> he, you told that story, though. I told that story, but <laughs> I'll end it with this story right here, man. He, he tried to recruit me. I committed. I verbally committed. I verbally committed to LSU, right? And then I went to a trip on to Tennessee, and that's where I met Vince. And then the words that Vince gave to me just inspired me so much that I came home. I was like, Mama, I'm going to Tennessee. <laughs> she said, all right. But your ass got to get on that phone and call Pat Henry <laughs> and tell him you decommitting. I was like, you ain't going to do it for me? She said, hell no. You about to be an adult. Do that. You got to do, do your adult situations too. So I had to get on the phone. I had to tell Pat Henry, man, I, I'm decommitting. I'm not coming to LSU. This man did not speak to me for two years, bro. Straight. <laughs> walked by me. Shoulder brush and everything. Did not speak to me. And it got to a point I just started winning so much. He was just like, man, congrats, man. Congrats. <laughs> and we've been cool ever since, man. We've been cool. But... Choose wisely, everybody. Choose wisely, <laughs> for sure. Pat is a great coach. So I want to say, everybody, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening, man. This we appreciate y'all. Definitely. And we're going to hope you stay tuned for the next episode of Ready, Set, Go. We, we out. out.